Believe in yourself, reach out for your dreams. Don't surrender, there is more than it seems. Hold on and fight, follow your heart. This is your way, love is what you make of it. Hi, this is Dr. Joe Luciani welcoming you to another session of self-coaching. We're real-life emotional struggle, whether it's depression, anxiety, relationship conflict, losing weight, or simply handling life's challenges are all addressed. Teaching you to become your own best coach. Well, welcome back to yet another week. And it's one of those beautiful autumn days here again. I tell you, every time I do this podcast... I have to be honest with you, I would rather be outside, but I am sacrificing myself to doing my job, which is to try very hard to dispense some self-coaching information that might be useful in helping you with your journey. And if that happens, then there will be other beautiful autumn days. Albert Einstein did not like the uncertainty of quantum mechanics. I believe it was called the Heisenberg principle, the uncertainty principle. And it drove him to say that God doesn't play dice with the universe. He was using God as a metaphor. You know, his idea of a God was someone who formulated the laws and then left the universe alone to evolve according to those physical laws. Now, I'm no Einstein, <laughs> but when it comes to emotional struggle, you know, in my humble opinion, we could apply that same God doesn't play dice kind of feeling because emotional struggle, in my estimation, it isn't random. You know, I do feel that it follows certain psychological laws and, well, maybe not laws, but, but psychological perceptions. And I'm going to explain how, why I feel we're not playing dice when we're trying to understand why we suffer and why there's a predictability to it, or at least an understanding as to why, as to it not being just random. There are reasons and rationale as to why we wind up with a life of struggle. Now, before going on, I have to maybe offer a disclaimer and, and this is rather important. You see, the term there's a term called idiopathic, and it refers to conditions that have no identifiable causes, you know, such as an idiopathic major depression and various psychotic conditions. You see, self-coaching is most applicable to mild and moderate emotional struggle. So I need to help you understand that in some severe cases of depression or psychosis, schizophrenia. We're, we're really not talking so much about that, even though a self-coaching approach can help to mitigate some of the symptoms of severe depression and psychosis. I think it's applicable most to the emotional struggles of mild to moderate conditions. That said, from that vantage point, let's let's dig a little bit into the one thing that I feel is a human imperative, and that is survival. You've often heard me talk about survival in so many different podcasts. And whether it's physical or psychological, we were designed to survive. So we protect ourselves. So that brings us 
to how in the world can emotional struggle be construed as a kind of programmed psychological mechanism, <laughs> a programmed psychological mechanism in the service of our survival needs. It just doesn't seem to make sense that emotional depression, anxiety is, is really serving our survival needs. Well, let me, let me give you my thesis. In order to kind of understand why emotional struggle can be construed as being in service of your ultimate psychological survival, my thesis says that one, there are faulty perceptions, and these are insecurity-driven perceptions of life and ourselves and the world and fate. And these faulty perceptions are insecurity-driven perceptions. They are distortions. And these distortions lead to protective instinctual responses. If we feel attacked by life or someone else or fate, whatever it is, we automatically go into a defensive mode. Now, from my self-coaching perspective, that defensive mode means we attempt to gain more and more control over that which is creating the vulnerable experience. When control works, when we have our controlling strategies, and these strategies can be, for example, worrying, which is the most ubiquitous of all the defensive psychological strategies of control, when we worry, we're trying to anticipate, we're trying to see what's coming around the corner, we're trying to brace ourselves, we're trying to rehearse. So worrying is just one of those psychological controlling mechanisms. There are others, avoidance, for example, we, we go into a turtle shell existence to try to protect ourselves from feeling out of control. But we have controlling strategies. And when the controlling strategies work, we don't have struggle. We go on with our lives. We, we pay the price for these controlling strategies because it's not natural to have to protect yourselves and control and to worry, worry, worry. It's not natural. But nevertheless, it staves off the anxieties and depression of emotional struggle for all intent and purposes. Now, when control falters, when the controlling strategy falters, when our mechanisms are not protecting us, and we are not able to maintain that feeling of invulnerability based on our controlling strategies, we begin to get uptight, we begin to get more stressed, and we begin to struggle. So when controlling strategies work, eh, we go on with life, however good or bad it may be. But when controlling strategies falter, we struggle, emotional struggle. So in a nutshell, depression and anxiety are attempts, albeit, let's call it last-ditch attempts, to minimize further loss of control. So you see, it's the loss of control. This is the survival defense. Losing control is anathema with survival. So when, when we start to lose that control over life, over fate, over our boss, over our partner, whatever it might be, and this becomes more chronic and we feel more and more out of control and the stress continues to build up, 
And what does stress do? Well, we know stress depletes chemistry as well as creating psychological havoc. Stress interferes with our balancing chemicals, serotonin, norepinephrine, dopamine. We become imbalanced and we become now susceptible to anxiety and depression. And this is why when I say survival, because when we feel out of control, we are equipped to want to do something about that. We, we want to do something or anything to feel less out of control. That makes common sense. So now I'm going to throw this at you and see if you can kind of wrestle with this a bit. I'd like to propose that anxiety and depression are, in fact, in fact, attempts to control that which we feel out of control with. Now, I'm loosely saying they are attempts because anxiety and depression are the end result of these attempts. But let's let's get into this a bit. Take take anxiety. For an example, let's take someone who has low self-esteem, and maybe they feel rather paranoid about getting fired, or that the boss doesn't like them, or such kind of paranoid, not in a psychotic sense, but just that things are going to go awry, you know, that, that neurotic sense. Well, facts be damned, because if you are that emotionally sensitive person with low self-esteem, uh, and you are defensive and you are and your thoughts are being driven by insecurity, then you develop the faulty perception that you're in danger, right? So if the boss is going to fire you and then and then you won't be able to pay the mortgage and your partner is going to leave you because you're a deadbeat and all this kind of stuff is roiling about, roiling about. So this faulty perception, because it, it, as I said, the facts be damned, it may have nothing to do with the boss's feelings. It may have nothing to do with your performance on the job. It may have everything to do with you reading between the lines and letting your insecurity say you're in danger. You're not safe. You're going to be fired. doesn't matter what the reality is. If that's the perception that your insecurity is driving, then your perception is you're in danger. Or... From a self-coaching standpoint, you are beginning to feel a loss of control. And as you begin to experience that loss of control, you begin to feel anxious. And feeling anxious and anxiety, there's a difference. I mean, there is transient anxious feelings that come and go. But we're talking more the the chronic anxiety, you know, the one that keeps you up at night, that keeps your stomach in a knot. It just keeps going around and around in your brain. What's going to happen when he fires me? And what will I do? And what will I do? Well, that kind of anxiety, that chronic, more chronic anxiety, what that does is it revs up our defensive array, right? Because now we're perceiving danger and we, we click into a higher gear. You know, we start to, what's, what ifing? And in this anticipatory anxiety, we start rehearsing, what will I do? And, and what if this happens? And we start to ruminate over and over and over. So we're revving up the system. Now, why do we do this? Well, because we're trying to think our way out of a loss of control, the loss of control that we feel. So we've become convinced that the way to feel back in control and less vulnerable 
is to start revving up the system to start all those defensive strategies of what ifing and worrying and all this anticipatory stuff because we're, we're trying to desperately get back in in a sense of into a state of control now the best way to think about this is uh, think about a, um, a a fuse box in your house now if you have a 15 amp fuse in in your circuit breaker box and you start to overload the circuit with too many appliances you know, you plug in your refrigerator and your TV and your computer and your hair dryer and your air conditioning and all this kind of stuff. The circuits heat up. And if you only have a 15 amp fuse, eventually the circuits developing more amperage need a larger fuse. So what happens? The fuse trips. So you run down to the fuse box and you realize, oh, my goodness, I need another fuse. I need a 20 amp fuse. So you put in the 20 amp fuse. You see, it's the overthinking that's creating the, uh, the flipping of the, uh, the fuse. And it's heating up that smaller fuse and you need to put in a larger fuse. So now you put in your 20 amp fuse, but more anxiety. You're still worrying about the boss. And what, what if, what if, so your worrying is not doing anything. It's just, you're still not, you know, falling off the edge here. You're just getting more and more upset. So maybe you run down and you put in a 30 amp fuse. Well, eventually by replacing fuses, you're not doing anything about the wires in your house because those wires are still heating up. The fuse is handling it. The fuse is handling it, but your wires aren't. And the heat may begin to melt the wires. And what happens? The wires begin to melt down, fire. And this is what happens to you with chronic anxiety, especially when the anxiety starts to become really habituated and it becomes more and more stressful and you become more and more emotionally and chemically depleted. Well, the, the, really the, the melting down part would be the, the panic where panic sets in, the melting point. So we see with anxiety that we are trying to protect ourselves. We are trying to survive danger. And again, I want to reiterate the important part of, of this talk today, and that is that it is perceived danger perpetrated by the distortions of insecurity. Now, why does insecurity distort? Well, because you don't have self-reliance, you don't have adequate self-trust, you don't believe in yourself. So insecurity, it, it sidesteps believing in yourself and it says just the opposite. I can't trust me. I need to control life. I need to do this. I need to worry. I need to run away. All these things are attempts to try to be safe when the real problem is there isn't enough self-trust and you don't believe that you can handle life. So you resort to the anxiety controlling strategies to try to handle life. And with mild anxiety, of course, you know, you can go on a lifetime with mild anxiety, moderate anxiety, you know, it, it takes a, a bigger toll from your life. It stresses and, and depletes and it creates less enjoyment and, and happiness. And it's, it's just not, a, it's not a, a healthy way to live. And again, it's all because of that lack of self-trust, which we'll get into in a minute. But how about depression? 
Now with anxiety, we're, we're replacing fuses, we're running to the fuse box, and eventually the wires heat up and melt down. But what about depression? Well, as the cumulative effects of insecurity lead to our feeling more and more out of control, and also more vulnerable, that's where we perceive that danger, the stress of that loss of control invariably begins to accumulate, depleting us again, psychologically, chemically, and as our vital balancing chemicals begin to become imbalanced, and now let's go back to our circuit breaker, when we're feeling that overload, what happens within that circuit breaker? Well, when there's a wire overload, when you have all those appliances plugged in all around the house, and the wires begin to heat up, and you have a 15-amp circuit breaker, and the breaker trips. Now, once a circuit breaker in your house trips, what happens? Well, you lose your electricity. Your home begins to lose its functioning. The TV is no longer playing. Your computer's dead. And you're sitting in the dark. Your house loses functioning. So when that circuit breaker trips with depression, what happens is that your functionality begins to suffer you become less functional. You start to withdraw. So when you're feeling overwhelmed and out of control, the withdrawal of energy and closing down normal functioning can be seen as a defensive maneuver designed to insulate us from that which we feel we can't handle. And what is it that we feel we can't handle? Well, that's life itself, right? So being insulated, being isolated, being withdrawn into a darker place is really trying to slow down the input. So being insulated is a misguided attempt to feel less vulnerable. And again, that psychological survival. So we, with, we retreat to that darker place where we tend to try to mute the, the input of life, people, places, bosses, partners, all those things that we feel we can't handle. Rather than feeling overwhelmed and pummeled, we tend to shut down the circuit breaker, we shut down the noise, and we fall back into a depression. The reason we have trouble with our circuit breakers is because we heat up those wires by allowing insecurity-driven thinking to heat up those wires. And it's the insecurity-driven thinking that distorts our perceptions and magnifies the dangers in life, the fears in life. But there's another problem, because if you have not developed adequate self-trust in your life, then when insecurity distorts our perceptions, there's no fallback. You see, you can't fall back on trust and I'll be okay, I'll handle that. It's not there. So you rely on manipulating the circuit breakers. Whether you retreat into a depression to avoid and refrain from life, or whether you start scurrying around, becoming more and more anxious, trying to manipulate life and fate. But it's because of the lack of self-trust that we are susceptible 
Now, even if your self-trust is in the formative stage and you haven't yet achieved that, it's important for you to realize that insecurity and anxiety and depression and emotional struggle in general are all driven by these distortions of insecurity. And they are habits. And this is where I keep coming back to week after week. You have to understand the habit nature of emotional struggle. And I know for a lot of people that treating anxiety and depression as habits seems a stretch. But think about it for a second. When I work in, in counseling with people, what I'm doing, I'm constantly trying to reframe the way they think about themselves, about life. And by correcting the distortions of insecurity and replacing that with more objective reality-based thinking, we begin to start to feed the healthy part of ourselves rather than the unhealthy part. But when we start to feed insecurity-driven thinking, when we allow ourselves to believe these distortions, what happens? Well, then, of course, the distortions become more monstrous. We become more impotent, fearful, out of control, more in danger. And we revert to survival strategies. And that's where anxiety, depression can be seen as the end result of just trying to survive. Those are the symptoms of the depletion of the endless need to compensate for lack of self-trust. And what is self-trust? Well, it's a willingness to believe that you can handle life. If you accept my notion that anxiety, depression, emotional struggle are in fact habits, habits that we either feed with insecurity-driven thinking, the doubts, the fears, the negativity, or we starve with a reframed view of life itself, the challenges we face, and the reality that you can learn to trust yourself to handle. That you don't need to be in survival mode. What you need to be in is confidence mode. Confidence, self-trust. Now, let's say you're depleted, low self-esteem, you don't believe in yourself. You don't have that self-trust muscle. And think of it as a muscle. It's there. You know, it's like any other muscle. You, you're, you may not have biceps that can help you lift a heavy package. And some of these Amazon packages can be quite heavy. So if the muscle's atrophied, it feels like it doesn't work well. It does. It's just there. But it is there. Your self-trust muscle is there. It's, it may be atrophied, but it needs some exercise. How do you exercise self-trust? Well, first, the reality, the reframe. Look at all the problems you've survived. Look at all the things that you have managed to put behind you, get through. You wouldn't be listening to this podcast if it were otherwise. Somehow you've managed to get to this point. Somehow you've managed to handle life one way or another. So you are a survival machine. You get there, you survive, and maybe by the skin of your teeth, but nevertheless, you are a survival machine. 
What makes you think you won't survive the next battle, the next skirmish? Of course you will, one way or another. What we're trying to do is eliminate the struggle involved in getting there. And the way to eliminate the struggle is to develop the self-trust muscle. Now, it begins with you believing that you have a self-trust muscle, that it's there. It needs to be actualized. And there's no other way to put it than you need to risk taking that self-trust muscle and applying it to life. How do you do that? Well, next time you're faced with a challenge, and I suggest you just take a small challenge just to test this out. Next time you're, you're faced with one of life's challenges, take the risk. Take a shot. Rather than ruminating about it or withdrawing from it and retreating and wringing your hands and moaning and groaning, just take the risk and do nothing. Tell yourself, I'm going to see what happens when I face that challenge. I'm going to exert my self-trust muscle and see if I get through this. Take the shot. Be spontaneous. See if your intuitive, instinctual self will come to your aid. Rather than trying to overthink and worry and what if and what if and what if, show up at that appointment. Go up to that person, whatever it might be, whatever the challenge. And just be who you are. Be present. Be in that moment. Trust that there is a muscle there. And the only way it's going to develop is by you giving it some energy, some trust in itself. Now, this is the way to start feeding the healthy side of you. Because we're trying to break the habits of insecurity, which make you believe that you're on an ice flow, somehow floating in the middle of the North Atlantic, and you have no resources, and you could only trust your own fears and worries. Or you can start to develop a notion that I can do this. So you take that leap. I can do this. You take that leap of faith, and you give that muscle, that self-trust muscle, a rep, like at the gym, one rep, two reps. You know, like I said, pick a small challenge, something small where you can find out that sometimes doing nothing but just trusting that you'll handle, you'll get through. Now, you don't have to handle it in a wonderful way. You just have to start believing that you will handle it, and you will come out the other side one way or another. But you will be more well-equipped if you're not overrun by anxiety and depression. If you are clear-minded and willing to believe that your own instincts and intuition are there to serve you. And like, like Einstein said, God doesn't play dice with the universe. You were made to survive. You are a survival machine. Everything in you is in the service of that survival. Now, just to not have you misconstrue this podcast, anxiety and depression are misguided attempts to survive because they are based on distortions of insecurity. But nevertheless, the anxiety and the depression are working with those circuit breakers to try to stop the house from burning down. So you can't blame your struggle, your anxiety, your depression. You can't blame anxiety and depression. What you need to blame are the distortions of insecurity. The distortions of insecurity, I should say, that, that affect your perception. I can't handle this. This is, 
too monstrous for me. I'll, I'll never get through that. If you've gone to anxiety and depression as a means of trying to survive, you know, that's just because you've you've really driven yourself to the point where without self-trust, you've relied on your strategies of control, which have failed you, and there's no recourse. With self-trust, you back up a bit and you realize that I've got to develop this self-trust muscle. And in the meantime, I've got to stop feeding the habit of insecurity, doubts, fears, negativity. You know, you've got to have an active mind and realize that even your own thinking becomes habituated. You, you feed your doubts, you feed your negativity, and you just let yourself do that. Well, you don't have to let yourself do that. I mean, ask yourself, the next time you go down this, this path of worrying about something and this is going to go wrong and what effect, you are the one that are thinking those thoughts, no one else. Why are you doing it? Well, that becomes part of your habit based on your insecurity. Stop doing it. You can stop that train of thought. Just say no. Stop it. Drop it. Say no to the ongoing onslaught of insecurity-driven thinking. Begin to slow down the depletion. You see, because by giving into the habit of insecurity, the doubts, the fears, the negatives, you are drip, drip, drip. You are depleting that chemistry. You are imbalancing yourself. Slow it down. Stop the thinking that creates the stress, the stress which depletes. Slow down that habit. At least back off from going, you know, I use the what I call the ABC technique. We can't stop that first thought from you know, percolating up into our mind, that first neurotic thought. And maybe the B thought, the A thought is the neurotic thought. The B thought, the next thought might be difficult to stop, but you darn well can stop the C thought, the D, the E, all the way down the alphabet. We are the ones that contribute to our own demise. So stop contributing. Stop needlessly indulging insecurity making matters worse. We're all in this together. We all are trying to survive. And push comes to shove. It's a challenging world. But you don't have to add insult to injury by creating the distortions of danger, seeing danger in safe places. This is what insecurity does. So hopefully you can begin to recognize that if you're struggling especially if you have anxiety or depression, the, the antidote, the way out of anxiety and depression is to recognize the need to stop feeding the habit of anxiety and depression. And one other, one other disclaimer, I am certainly not opposed to medication to help and assist with anxiety and depression. In fact, I call medication, sometimes a therapy facilitator, because keep in mind that sometimes the stress creates chemical depletions, and this is why medication can work and help. So if medication can artificially bring back that balance and fortify you, it puts you in a better position to kind of grapple with the habits that have to be broken. You're just in a more substantial place to be resilient, to say no to insecurity. So that's about it for today. And, and I'd be glad to follow up on this. So if you, if you want to hear more in-depth stuff relating to anxiety, depression, emotional struggle, let me know at selfcoachinghelp at aol.com. 
you know, while while we're winding down today, I would be remiss if I didn't remind you to take a look at my website, selfcoaching.net. And you'll find all kinds of great stuff there, including my latest book, Unlearning Anxiety and Depression, which goes over a lot of what we're talking about today. It's been a pleasure. And you know what? It's still sunny out and I'm going to go out and enjoy the day. And I hope you will too. So until next time, remember that being victimized by emotional struggle, well, it's not an option. And by definition, victims are powerless and you are not powerless. So remember, everything's hard until you make it simple. So join me every week. And what do you say we make it simple together? Reach out for your dreams. Don't surrender, there is more than it seems. Hold on and fight, follow your heart.